2: Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash KD. Nobody has a miracle of love with them, do they? could read your story but what used to happen is some people would come we might have heard about Maharaji or through Ramdas, or maybe in India the word would spread you know because every season people would like as the seasons changed the people would come out of the hills on their way to the beaches and the people at the beaches would come you know on their way somewhere else and we'd meet each other and the in the cities and we'd exchange notes about where we'd been, what we'd experienced and which saints we saw and who was hanging out and which saints had the best food that they gave to you and which ones didn't feed you at all. And, <clears throat> and then, you know, people would say, yeah, I want to go see that guy or I want to see her. Or I want to do this, you know, and they'd take off and we'd meet again, like a few months later. It was quite extraordinary, really amazing time. You know, I was born in New York City. Right away, two strikes bottom of the ninth. <laughs> what chance was there that I was going to ever trip and fall into anything real in life? It just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. Nobody in my family believed in anything. Except they wanted to be good people. They didn't believe in God. They didn't believe there was anything to find in life. They didn't even believe it was possible to be happy uh, in in life. Best you could do was, you know, get through the day the best way you can. Teeth clenched. And hopefully you didn't beat anybody up. (laughs) But that's just what happened. This puppet was just cruising around on the stage, didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And the string just got pulled, and there I was. It actually happened before I met people say, oh, you, you know, I want to see a guru, my guru. I don't have a guru, I, you know, I want to meet somebody. That's bullshit, you don't have to meet anybody. I met Ram Dass, who is not a guru and i met ramdas who had just come back from india from being with maharaji and i walked into the room without a word being spoken and i knew that whatever i was looking for was real it just i just knew it was real and it existed and it could be found of course then i really got depressed <laughs> Because if it was real and it existed and it could be found, then I didn't have it, then where was it? <laughs> and that's when I met Maharaji. And when I finally got to see him physically, it was like, oh, I know what this is. This is nothing new. I've been feeling this since I met Ramdas. It was, in fact, it was hard to kind of put that. That little body, how could that little body fill the whole universe, right? Well, that little body doesn't, but the real Maharaji does. The real guru is always everywhere, always available. Why? Because guru, God, and self are not different, but we don't see ourself. We don't touch our true nature. We don't know how to look. And so we get we want to see something outside. We want to go to movies. We want to read books. We want to run around and meet saints. But all but we don't want to look into the mirror of our hearts, because that's hard and painful sometimes. Because the first thing you see when you look is all that crap that's on the mirror. The dust on the mirror of the heart. <laughs> and it doesn't look very good. You know? doesn't look good. You look selfish and needy and weak and greedy and shameful shame and guilt it doesn't look good you don't want to look at that stuff but if you don't look you don't see and underneath all that stuff is guru is god is self is our true nature so so we have to find a way to get the strength to actually peak. Take a peek. And that's why we're doing practices. That's what spiritual practices do. They train us. They strengthen our inner being. They train us. They they allow us to let go and drop in for a minute. You can't stay. But the more you drop in, the more familiar it gets to be at home in yourself. The feeling of meeting Maharaji and of meeting a guru, a real guru, is, ah, I'm home. You know what it is. You know what it is. It's nothing new. It's not different. You know what it is. It's completely right. There's no doubt about it. It's almost like when you fall in love with another human being. But that's only for three minutes. <laughs> but when you fall in love with yourself, it's forever. Guru, God, and self are the same. So when you meet a real guru, outside or inside, the feeling is that you know what this is. And that's why falling in love with with a, you know, romantically is so powerful because for that period,
0: you feel loved. You feel loved. And we all want to feel
2: loved. That's what we want. And we want to be able to love. But we don't know how to do that. Who's, who's going to teach us to do that? Was there How to Love 101 in, uh, you know? I remember taking a home ec. <laughs> In high school, I learned how to make nest eggs. You cut a little piece out of the bread, you put a, a piece of egg inside, and you put it on a pan, and you cook it up. But nobody taught me how to love. They taught me how to be a good housewife. <laughs> but how do you learn to love? Well, you don't have to learn. What we do have, though, is one big problem, bad aim. (laughs) Isn't it? Bad aim. It looks so beautiful, you grab it. Where'd it go? It wasn't out there, it was in here. You know, my mother came to India after I'd been there two years, and I was walking around, I had long hair, a long beard, I was walking around in a long dress, red dress, barefoot. I met her at the airport like that. (laughs) I was just waiting for her to say something. (laughs) Get back on that plane. It was funny, I, was, I had hepatitis, and I was kind of recovering. I was in the temple, and one day I didn't feel good, so I stayed in my room all day. And the next day I came out, and Maharaji, the minute I saw Maharaj, he looked at me and said, you didn't feel good yesterday? I said, no. He said, when's your mother coming to India? <laughs> what? <laughs> She's not coming. He didn't say anything. Later that day, I got a, a, a note from the town Our, our, the devotees who owned the hotel where we used to stay had gotten a phone call from my mother. (laughs) And he knew. So, but I didn't know. So I went to town and I, 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 in those days you had a, you had to call the, 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 the town operator who called the state operator, who called the federal operator, who called the international operator, who called the, the operator in America and connected the calls back this way. It took about a week. And uh, so I called my mother and I said, hi. I, I want to come to see you. <laughs> uh, uh, well, oh, oh, okay, let me ask Maharaji. I'll call you tomorrow. Bye. Can you imagine? I'm a, I'm a father now. I'm a grandfather. Can I, if my daughter was somewhere and I said, I want to come see you. Okay, I'll ask my guru. <laughs> Guru, you. <laughs> so I, I walked back, got back to the temple, and I said, "I'm already." My mother wants to come see that. Let her come. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> So a month or so later, uh, so I wrote back to her and I said, okay, you, Maharaji says you can come, but bring the best sweater you can bring. Bring the nicest sweater you can bring for him. So she went shopping and as much as it hurt her, I think she actually bought a sweater. And uh, she brought this beautiful sweater and she comes in. And, but I later found out the reason. one of the reasons that was in her mind when she came to India to see Maharaji she thought from she had seen some of the pictures of him, and there was a faint resemblance to her father, my grandfather. And she wanted to see if he had the same nose as her father. <laughs> Talk about devotion. <laughs> anyway, so she comes in, she brings this sweater out, and Maharaji went crazy. Look what she's, look at this sweater, look what she's brought to me all the way from America. And he looks at the Indian, you miserable people, you don't bring me anything. And she's dragged us, but that's not even, it's just X-rated what he said. I can't even go into it. Uh, Look at this, like she brought, and he ripped off his blanket, he took off as he puts the sweater on, and and he was just so happy, and she was so sweet, you know, really sweet. Really sweet. And um, so we were there the whole time. We spent, I think, three weeks in India, you know, Maybe 10 days up in the hills uh, with around Maharaji, and 10 days we went down to Agra and a couple of places. Maybe it wasn't that long. The whole time my mother was in India, this is the way she looked.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I had a, I had a walker step by step everywhere we went. Down. And God, I, I don't. I had been in India so long; I had completely lost my whatever I didn't have in the first place. And so, how to get up from Delhi to the hills, right? We, she was paying, right? So we took a deluxe bus. That means it had cushions on the seat and a little doily on the back of the seat that was covered with coconut oil and grease from all the people's hair that you know. And I thought this was like heaven, a, a cushion on the seat. She got in there, she like levitated, you know. <laughs> 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 and that wasn't the worst. What happened was the bus stops in this town that if they voted for, how shall I say it? okay, Uh, the sewer of the world. That's as nicely as I could put it. It would be Moradabad. And the bus stops in the bus station. She had to go pee. So I said, yeah, it's just in there. See, it says, ladies. So she walks in, and in about 10 seconds, she comes out white as a sheet. There was like two feet of water with floating poopies all over the place, you know? For me, I just like pop over them and get into the thing and do my thing. But she, she, <laughs> she she just walked back on the buses, sat down. She was shaking so much she couldn't speak for about a week, you know. Then we finally got to the hills, and it was much much nicer up there. And the people at the hotel took good care. Of. So every day or so, whenever Maharaji would let us, we would we would go to the temple for the day. And um. So anyway, so it came time for us to leave. And... Oh, Maharaji says to him, will you give him money? Because none of the Westerners had any money. You know, we were just, We'd gone to India, and now we'd, it's been 20 years. We've been there. We never had a, a penny. So uh, says, will you give him money? And she says, I want him to work. And Maharaji says, don't worry, he'll work. <laughs> yes, he will. Anyhow, so, okay, so he was just so sweet to her, and everybody was so sweet to her. It was wonderful. But, you know, she was so the last day, we said goodbye to him, and we walked out of the temple and across this bridge, up these steps onto the road, and we walked towards the car that was going to take us to Delhi because now it was going to be a car, no more buses. And... Um, Just as she was about to get in the car, she turned and looked kind of down into the temple. And Maharaji was just sitting on his bench, his tucket, they call it. And she turned and looked and she broke down, started weeping uncontrollably. I had to catch her, she was falling. And she just wept like a baby. And she couldn't stop. I had to actually kind of push her up into the car. And she was weeping and, weeping and
0: weeping and weeping. And she cried for a long time. He didn't say anything. He didn't do anything outwardly.
2: But something happened. And what we used we used to say her heart open. You know. And in that moment, that happened to so many of the devotees. Almost everybody had one of those moments. And in that moment, your life, everything you've ever done, seen and known, just becomes it just almost it, like like nothing. And you feel your home. Right? Your home you And you feel you've always been home, and you'll always be home and the the whole thing that you believed up to this time, everything you believed about yourself just fell away, it just fell off you know, like
0: dust And Maharaj, you just sit there as if as
2: if you're doing nothing, you know, and he is doing nothing because. God's
0: doing everything, and he's just a conduit. It was her karmas I mean, obviously she was connected i
2: I was there with him. My sister came to India like a couple of years later, and she's been spending a half her life there, you know, so there was a lot of karma there, and my mother's a part of that now. The funny thing is, and the kind of sad thing in a way, or let's just take it face value, that moment kind of faded for her. And she lived the rest of her life mostly as if that moment never happened. She had a lot of issues that she had to work through in life. A lot of stuff happened. But whenever some friends would come over and they would say, wow, you were in India and met Maharaji? And she'd start talking about it. Her whole countenance would change. She'd just like radiate, you know? And And it was amazing. And then
0: it would fade again. Interesting, huh? When we chant, And we're
2: singing, and then all of a sudden we realize, oh, you know, I've been thinking about that car that broke down, right? Or whatever you've been thinking. So then, then you come back to the chanting, right? Then you're gone again, which you only realize when you've come back, by the way. If you didn't come back, you wouldn't realize you were gone. That's a very important thing. Okay? Really. You're singing, and then you go, oh, I haven't been paying attention. And you start singing again. You start listening, so to speak. And then, oh, it happens again and again. So you're already back when you notice that you haven't been paying attention. And then you rededicate yourself to the chant at that moment. You say, okay, now I'm going to pay attention. Now I'm going to sing. Now I'm going to listen. And you do until you notice you've been gone again. That's the way it works. That's perfect. If you weren't paying attention, you'd never notice, and it would be you get born, you go to school, you drink beer, and you die. <laughs> and you would never know you were here for a minute. So when we, end, when we bring a spiritual practice into our lives, it, wakes, it begins to wake us up. It, it kind of, in a way, remembers us. Because when you're lost, you're lost how are you going to find your way back? We we don't find our ways back. The chant, which we are supposed to be doing, pulls us back. Or you could even say that our true nature, our self, our true being, pulls us back because we're finally paying a little attention to it. So we keep training ourselves to come back by coming back again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And if you're really paying attention, in a half an hour kirtan, you probably notice that you come back a billion times because you've been gone a billion and one times. That's the way it works. It's good. There's no reason to judge that and think, oh, I don't know how to chant, I can't pay attention. That's more shit. Just come back. See, when the chant's going on, You can always let go of whatever it is you're saying to yourself, whatever it is you're remembering, whatever it is you're feeling, and come back. So that's why you keep it going. And it starts to go underneath the radar by itself, that generating that awareness, generating that repetition of the name. You generate that, you keep coming back to it again and again. It pulls you back by itself. It's you doing it to you. But that's how you get it going. And that's the reason that we do practice, because it it brings us back. Otherwise, just out to lunch, asleep. And that place that we're coming back to is that place of home. You don't have to be in India and be with a guru or somewhere with a guru for that to happen because you're already home. Where else could you be? Right? Where else could you be except here? But we don't know what that means. We don't feel what here means. What We don't feel what that is because our thoughts, were so used to being gone all the time. So... We start chanting. We start doing some practice. And gradually, but inevitably, thank you. It's been a long time since I said that word. But it was inevitable I would say it again sometime. (laughs) Gradually, but inevitably, we start to feel more comfortable at home. And it's it's a wonderful feeling. When you're at home, you can entertain guests because you've developed kindness and compassion. So anybody who comes by here, have some tea. But if you're like out to lunch, you know you can't do anything for anybody. Very difficult. So we start training ourselves to, to come back. And over and over, that's all, just touch base, and then you're gone again. Touch base. Don't pat yourself on the back and don't beat yourself up when you don't do it because that's just more stuff right? And the more comfortable we get with the coming back and the more comfortable we get used to kind of being more present, the easier it is to let go of the programs that are running in our, in our being. All the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and about everybody else. It gets easier and easier to let go of that stuff and come back because you begin to see it as, wait a minute, and you're back. And it, it, it has an effect all through your life, all through your day, instead of getting depressed for 365 days, it might be 364 days and 23 hours because of the practice you've done. Instead of getting angry and you know carrying that rage with you for a week, maybe you carry it for a day. You, you wind up spending less and less time in darker, heavier states of mind. It just happens, but you don't notice that. Why? Because it's the dark, negative states of mind, the evaluative person stuff in us that notices that stuff when it's not, when we're not evaluating, God forbid, we're just happy. We don't think about it. We're not doing that trip on ourselves. But if you look back at your life after some time of being involved with the stuff you see, there's a real shift. You just, you, you, We feel differently about ourselves. We're not so hard on ourselves. And that's not easy because we spend all our lives practicing being as hard as we possibly can on ourselves. We're experts at it. We can beat the shit out of ourselves from so many different directions, it's amazing. For for so many no reasons. So it takes a long time to be able to release that stuff as it's arising, right? Usually, it takes us a while to realize what's going on. If we even realize it at all. We're so used to it, we think it's who we are. That's the, that's the, that's the terrible thing, in a way. We think we are this miserable person who need, doesn't have enough, and never be worthy of love, and just has to keep grabbing stuff to try to make ourselves happy. But we can get over it. It's not that hard. And in fact, it's inevitable. No, it really is. I'm not just saying that because it's funny. It really is inevitable because it's not who we are. We can only maintain the, the lies we tell ourselves about ourselves for so long. Sooner or later, through the fruit of doing these practices, of repeating the name, of, of uh, trying to understand what this path is all about, those stories start to disappear. They start to vaporize right in front of our eyes. But it takes practice, and it, takes, it happens over time. It's a ripening process. And Maharaja used to say, Ram Nam Karnese Sab From going on repeating these names of God, they call them, Ram Nam. Everything is brought, is made full and complete. All our, we're filled with all the good qualities that we need. And all the negative qualities that cause us suffering are released and let go of. It's a ripening process, and practice ripens us. Music